Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then we're going over to the New Testament and Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which is on page 833 of the Red Pew Bibles. He is the Lord of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from god and and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Did you see it on the news? Uh, This week, a group of American university students upstaged NASA. Did you see that? They upstaged NASA by... uh, by, by taking some very clear photographs uh, from space of, of Earth. Uh, now do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, this is one of the photographs that they got. Now, that's an impressive photograph, considering that the whole operation cost them $150. Uh, what they did is they filled a weather balloon with helium and they strapped a polystyrene uh, beer can holder to the weather balloon and inside the beer can holder they had a cheap digital camera uh, and a little cheap GPS tracking device as well and then they let the balloon go. The balloon rose for about 
It just kept on rising for about four hours until it uh, reached about 28 kilometres above the earth and uh, with a parachute it uh, gently dropped to the ground because the, uh, the balloon burst. It uh, dropped to the ground and with the aid of the GPS tracking device they were able to uh, track down the uh, camera where it landed and they were able to retrieve the photos like this particular photo. 150 bucks uh, got the job done. How about that? Well, Richard Branson uh, would say how about that because uh, Richard Branson has uh, basically uh, uh, done the same upstage NASA as well. Uh, last month, his uh, new airline, Virgin Galactic, announced that they're, they're almost ready to roll. Uh, another 18 months, they reckon, and uh, they'll be in a position to start uh, taking passengers uh, into, uh, into space uh, on this spaceship. Um, but you better start saving if you're interested. It'll cost you 200 grand for two hours in space. Uh, you'll get to float around and you'll also get to look down on planet Earth. But as far as views of the Earth go, it's hard to beat this one. Uh, this photograph was taken in 1968 by Apollo 8. Normally, it's actually a very fo famous photograph. Normally when you see it, it's at 90 degrees to this but this is the actual uh, way that it was taken. Uh, Apollo 8 was on a mission to orbit the moon, not to land on the moon, just to orbit the moon. Their cameras were all geared up to take photographs of the lunar surface. Nobody had even thought about the idea of taking, looking backwards and taking photographs of Earth until uh, the, one of the astronauts looked outside of his window and he was stunned by what he saw. He saw the Earth rising over the moon. So he grabbed his camera, went back to the window, and he snapped this particular shot. On that particular mission, uh, it was in December of uh, 60, 68, uh, they, um, uh, they were there orbiting the moon on uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, and in what was the most watched television uh, broadcast uh, in history, the crew of Apollo 8, Lovell, Borman and Anders, uh, spoke to the world. And this is what they said. This was their message. They said, we are now approaching lunar sunrise and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message we would like to send to you. And here was their message. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then they took turns, the three astronauts, in reading from Genesis chapter 1, concluding with the words, And God saw that it was good. And then they asked for God's blessing upon all people, of the good earth. For many people it was a profoundly and deeply encouraging moment. But for others, they were greatly angered. They were outraged 
at what the astronauts had said and how they had interpreted what they had seen. The most prominent atheist of the time was a lady by the name of Madeleine Murray O'Hare. Uh, she's very famous. She was the head of the American Atheist Association. She was the one who was responsible for prayer being barred in American schools. Uh, she was the lady who was murdered by a fellow member of the Atheist Association who was embezzling money uh, from that association. Uh, she's the lady whose son became an evangelical preacher of the gospel. But nevertheless, Madeleine Murray O'Hare responded to the astronaut's message by suing the government of the United States of America under uh, alleging violations to the First Amendment of the US Constitution. The case went to the US Supreme Court and was eventually dismissed. Can you guess why the US Supreme Court dismissed this case? I'll tell you why. Because they reasoned that it was not in their jurisdiction. After all, who, which court has jurisdiction over what someone says while they're floating around the moon? But it raises some of the questions I mentioned last week, doesn't it? Questions such as, how can we know for sure that God exists? Uh, questions such as, what can we tell about God? Can we know that God exists by looking at, at the world around us, by the universe, by the earth, by the stars, the planets, by nature? Questions like, if God does exist, how can we know what he is like? Now, these are not just big questions for scientists in their observatories and their, and their laboratories to think about. These are not just big questions for philosophers in their ivory towers to be considering. These are questions which ordinary people are asking. Ordinary people are asking questions about the world and God. Uh, one of our congregation members uh, was saying to me that uh, just during this week, a couple of days ago, that she was listening in on ABC local radio and this was their topic. Uh, a listener phoned in and I didn't hear him myself but she reported to me that he said something like this. He said, when I look at the world, I, I know that there must be someone or there must be something behind it. But I don't know who or what. And the listener said, maybe, maybe a Christian could help me to know. These are real questions, real issues. Issues which you and I need to interact with. Uh, issues which you and I need to think about if we are to be the kind of Christian who would be able to answer that person's question about how they can know about the one who has created the world. And so firstly this morning I want to address this question just very briefly of what can we know about God through nature? Uh, what can we know about God by, by simply looking at the world and the universe? When we look at the universe and when we look at nature, uh, at the very least, at the very least, it appears, it looks like, it seems to be the case 
that there is a designer. It appears to be designed, whether you believe it's designed or not, uh, people would agree that there is the appearance of design. And we see that uh, in all of the world around us, don't we? From the, um, uh, from the stars in the galaxy to the smallest microbes. Uh, we see it in the, in the planet itself. Uh, consider uh, the, the planet Earth. Uh, because in order for life to exist on planet Earth, there are certain conditions that must be met. There are certain things about the Earth which must be true, and if, if any of these conditions were not true, then life would simply not exist on Earth at all. Uh, for example, the Earth has to be the right size. Uh, the, the Earth must rotate at, at, at the correct speed uh, in order for there not to be days that are far too long that uh, the people on one side of the planet burn up with heat whilst people on the other side of the planet freeze to death. Uh, the, the, moon, the, the, the Earth must be the correct distance from the sun a little bit closer to the sun and we'd burn up, a little bit further away from the sun and we'd all freeze. The earth must be on the right tilt in order to create the seasons that we experience that are so important for our ecosystems. Um, the, the balance between land and water must be right. Uh, we need light but not too much ultraviolet light. We need heat but not too much infrared heat. Uh, think about this, we live just beneath an air screen which shields us from millions of missiles every day and we live just above a rock screen that shields us from the intense heat that's just below our feet and would otherwise burn us up. The earth is precisely right in order for life to exist. And so when we consider issues like that, we think, well, what are the options? Uh, the options are these. The options are that it was designed or that it happened by chance. Now, some say that the chance that the universe, uh, as it is, came to be as it is uh, without any design is so infinitesimally small that there must be a designer. Um, there are scientists who are not Christians who say that. There are scientists who do not claim any particular religious allegiance whatsoever who say that uh, through their study of science, and particularly I'm thinking about physics, that through the study of physics that they have been driven to the conclusion that there must be a designer. There must be a designer. Uh, there's a famous physicist uh, by the name of Dr Paul Davies who is a good example of that. But others, on the other hand, say no. They say that even the tiniest chance that uh, the universe came to be uh, as improbable as it is... Uh, without a designer, even the slightest chance that that's the case means that we cannot conclude that God exists. And so the argument goes on and on and on. Now, 
the Bible tells us that uh, human beings in our wisdom cannot know God. That uh, if God if we, if God is to be known to us, then the only way that that can happen is for God to reveal Himself to us. And the Bible tells us that that is the only way that we can come to co- to correct conclusions about God. Now, last week we saw from Psalm 8 that God does reveal himself to us through the physical world. Uh, We see it also in Psalm 19, which was read to us earlier on. In Psalm 19, verse 1, if you care to have a look at that, on page 390. uh, In Psalm 19, verse 1, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the skies proclaim the work of his hands that day after day they pour forth speech that night after night they display knowledge so what the bible writer is saying is that god is communicating to us through the creation Uh, the heavens declare the skies proclaim uh, they they pour forth speech uh, the, they display knowledge to us. That is, God speaks to us through the natural world. And that is what is referred to as being um, the general revelation. The revelation which is available to everybody. The revelation which everybody receives simply by opening their eyes and looking around. But the question is, is that enough? Is that enough? Because, as I said, there are people who, when they look at the world, they know in their hearts that God exists, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, what we're told is that they, they take that knowledge of God from, from what they see around, but they suppress that knowledge. They, they don't want to admit to what that knowledge is actually saying. They don't want to admit that it's true uh, because if they do, then it's got implications for their lives. It's got implications for how they treat God. It's got implications for the way that they live. And so they suppress that knowledge uh, or they make up for themselves their own gods and they bow down and worship gods which they can control rather than gods that have got a claim over their lives. We see that in some of the physicists that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Physicists who have come to the conclusion that God exists, but who reject the God of the Bible. Uh, They they don't want to bow down and worship the God of the Bible because what the the Bible says about God, they don't like. Uh, It says things about how God wants us to live. And that affects our morality, that affects our lifestyle, that affects the way we treat other people. And so they reject the God of the Bible. Science has led them to a knowledge of God, but that in itself is not sufficient because they have not become Christians. Then there are people like the man on the radio who, they look at the world, they conclude that there must be a God, that he must be great, that he must be brilliant, but they don't know anything more about him than that 
and by simply looking at the creation they can't know anything more about him than that. So in that we see that there are two problems. Firstly, we see that the physical world can only tell us so much about God and secondly, we see that our sinfulness means that even what is revealed to us about God we have a tendency to reject because we don't want to sit under his authority. But the Bible is very revelatory. The Bible reveals to us that God has solved both of those problems. Let me ask you this. If you were the creator and you wanted to communicate clearly with humanity, if you wanted your creatures to not only know that you exist but to know what you're like and to even have a relationship with you, to know you personally, what would you do? How would you do that? How would you achieve that degree of communication? How does the one who is so um, incomprehensibly great and vast, how does the one who created the universe communicate to us at a personal level? Well, the answer is that he did so by stepping into our world, by he actually became one of us. That's how he did it. And now there are many Bible passages that spell this out. Um, John chapter 1 is a good example, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 spells it out. Uh, and I want us just to dip very briefly into Colossians 1 this morning, if you like to turn to Colossians 1, because there are people who have got all sorts of ideas about who Jesus is. When you talk to the Muslims, they'll tell you that Jesus was um, just a prophet, a messenger from God. Uh, when the J-dubs come knocking on your doorstep, they'll tell you that Jesus is more than a prophet, but he's only a created being, that that's who he is. And when I talk to most Aussies, uh, they tell me that, you know, God's a good bloke. I saw Crocodile Dundee on TV the other night. Did you see that? Another rerun of it. I watch it every time it comes on. And he, there's Crocodile Dundee out there in the Aussie outback with the uh, girl from America. And, uh, you know, she asks him, you know, what do you think about God? He says, well, you know, Jesus, he was a fisherman. Or the disciples were fishermen. God, like, I'm a fisherman. God and me, you know, we're mates. You know, I'll see him one day. <laughs> yeah, see, most people think of Jesus as being just, just a good bloke. That's their attitude towards Jesus. But in Colossians chapter 1, to think of Jesus in any of these ways is just way off the mark. It really depletes uh, who Jesus is. Think about it this way. Why is it that the scientists cannot prove 100% completely totally without any question whatsoever why is it that they cannot prove absolutely through science that god exists well there's a pretty simple answer to that actually and it's because god is spirit god is invisible and the only way that we could see god would be if god made himself visible and god has done that in the most loving way possible God has done that in a way that, 
that, that is actually, um, uh, that, that connects with us in a way that doesn't harm us, in a way which is, which is loving and gracious. He's, he's made himself visible by becoming one of us. Verse 15 tells us that. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Right? Take a look at what else it says about Jesus. That it says that he is the firstborn over all of creation, which means that he is the heir, that he is the one who will own the creation. What else does it say? Verse 16 is critical for our understanding of, of God. Verse 16, for by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now, that is the boldest, most extraordinary claim that could ever be made about anyone. What is it saying? It is a claim that the countless billions and billions and billions of, of stars that exist in the universe, that all of the planets and, the, and, and every thing that is, that, that is there in space and everything that's here on Earth and, and every single one of the countless microbes that exist, that everything in the physical world and everything in the spiritual world which we cannot see that it has been created by Jesus, created by him and for him. Uh, in verse 17, we are told that he hasn't just created everything that exists, but that he sustains all things, that the entire universe, so that all of life, that everything that exists keeps on ticking over because of Jesus that he is the one who is doing that. Uh, in verse 19, God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Jesus. Now that is extraordinary. Think about what that, what that is saying. Uh, because if everything about God existed in a particular person then who would that person have to be by definition? God. If, and, and it's like Paul, is, um, uh, Paul wants to emphasise the point here. He doesn't just say that God's fullness dwells in Jesus. He says all of God's fullness dwells in Jesus. There is nothing about God that is not in Jesus. And therefore, Jesus is God. Uh, it is an astonishing claim. It is to some people an outrageous claim to claim that this man was God. But it's only outrageous and it's only astonishing if we forget the, the basic question that I posed. And that is the question that if you were God, how would you go about communicating with the pinnacle of your creation? Right? Now make no mistake about it, friends. You and I are the pinnacle of God's creation. Uh, last week we threw up some slides on the screen 
taken from the Hubble Space Telescope and I think there was a, a nebula that I said was 7,500 light years away from Earth and the size of the nebula was two light years from top to bottom and uh, it's just so awesome that we can't even wrap our minds around how great that is. I've got to tell you this, that nebula is nothing in comparison to one human being. That nebula is nothing in comparison to even a newborn baby. That nebula is just, is just dust and gas. But the smallest of human beings lives, breathes, thinks, reasons. Human beings, we are the ones who ask questions about our creator. No, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We've been made in his image. And so a human being is far more impressive than even than one of those cosmological things we looked at last week. And so the question is how would God communicate with us as as, as the pinnacle of his creation? The world around us uh, may help us to to know that God exists. The world around us may help us to ask questions about God, but nothing beats meeting God in the flesh. And we can meet God because he became one of us, Jesus. But look at what else it says about Jesus. In verses 20 through to 21, we are told that... We, his creation, were alienated from God. But in verse 20 to 21, that God has made peace with us through the blood of Jesus, which was shed on the cross. And so humankind's biggest questions, humankind's biggest problems are solved. Think about it. First of all, how can I know with certainty that God exists? Well, you can know because God became a man. He lived 2,000 years ago. That he did things, that Jesus did things that only God can do. That he, he spoke to the wind and the wind stopped. He spoke to the waves and the waves calmed down. That he, he healed people who were sick. That he drove out demons out of people and that there were people who were stone-cold dead like Lazarus and he breathed life into him. He took a, an animate object, just flesh and blood and bones of a dead man and that dead man then lived. He did things that only God can do. Secondly, if God does exist, then how can an unworthy person such as me be connected to him? Well, because he willingly died for you. He paid the price for your rejection of him. This is what we're told in Colossians chapter 1. You see, I want to say this, that in the New Testament that the knowledge of God is always a saving knowledge. To know God is to know Jesus. 
To know Jesus is to know what he has done on the cross. To know what he's done on the cross is to know the way that ordinary human beings can actually have a relationship with the creator of the universe. God has revealed himself in the person and work of his son, Jesus. So then, how, how would you respond to someone uh, you know, who refuses to believe that God exists? Or how would you respond to someone like a man on the radio who kind of thinks that God exists, but he's not quite sure where to take it from there? How would you help anyone to get to know God? I think that there's certainly a place for talking about the design that we see in uh, the world and the universe around us as a bit of a starting point. Um, often in conversation that, that happens. I mentioned a few weeks ago I was talking to a friend of mine. He was wondering whether God existed or not and I pointed out this uh, beautiful flower that was nearby and we started talking about how that could have come into existence without someone actually designing it and so on. A bit of a starting point. And sometimes uh, God uses the design that we see in the world around us to evoke the questions in our own heart. Certainly that was the case for myself uh, when I was not a Christian. Looked at the world around, I thought there's got to be more to it than this. I was a bit like the guy that phoned up the radio station actually. But there is danger for us in this because sometimes we Christians can get uh, very much tangled up in non-productive debates about issues of science that scientists don't agree with each other on and issues of science that the Bible is simply not addressing. We get very caught up, very tangled up uh, in those debates and those discussions and they go round and round in circles uh, when we could be doing something which is much better. Listen to what the author of the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews says. In Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom... He created the universe. How does God speak to people? Through his son. Uh, what do we know about the son? We know that this, the son of God uh, is the very focus of the gospel itself. And so how do we talk to people about God? How do we convince a person that God exists? I think ultimately we do so by, procl by proclaiming the gospel. That's how. And so when I'm involved in conversations uh, like that, uh, I, I generally want to move reasonably quickly to talking to people about Jesus because he is God. Three of us were listening to a debate between Richard Dawkins and a Christian man a couple of uh, days ago. And in the end, uh, Richard Dawkins said, I get really, really frustrated in these debates with Christians because he said uh, I want to talk about the grand design of the you know <laughs> the grand design I want to talk about the grandness of the universe the stars and the planets and and all they want to talk about eventually is they want to tell me it all gets down to 
talking about Jesus and him being raised from the dead. He said such a trivial, uh, small, local issue is what they want to talk about. Well, we want to talk about that because we believe that Jesus is God. (laughs) He is the image of the invisible God and his resurrection from the dead is no local, small, trivial matter at all. And so I want to encourage people to think about Jesus. I want to encourage people to, 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 to take one of the Gospels and, and to read it for themselves, uh, to see what Jesus is like, to see what Jesus taught, to see what Jesus did, and to consider the, the claims that Jesus made about himself. Why spend so much of our time talking about the creation when we can actually spend our time introducing our friends to the one who is the creator? And that one is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you've not left us in the dark. We thank you that you reveal uh, yourself to us through the creation, through the spoken word, through the prophets. And uh, most clearly, we thank you for revealing yourself to us by becoming one of us, by living amongst us, by dying and rising again for us. We pray, Father God, that uh, you would open up opportunities for each of us to talk to people about you, and that as we do so, that we would be able to introduce them to Jesus, uh, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one uh, through whom uh, and for whom uh, the whole of the universe has been created. And we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.